All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sports on 590 Fan. It's March. The Maple Leafs went to see the boss who we're playing right now. But the real boss might just be Kyle Dubas. He's bossing, at least. He's bossing. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. Hello. And co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. A busy guy these days. Glad you could squeeze us in. How are you? No problem. Uh, I'm good. You want some really obscure Kyle Dubas, Bruce Springsteen trivia? Of course. Like really, really That's like That's why we put you obscure. on the radio. <laughs> so when he took over the Sioux Greyhounds at the OHL, I can remember specifically because he was working for Uptown uh, as an agent. Um, he took over the Sioux Greyhounds, and we all know the story of the um, uh, of the Dubas family, specifically his grandfather with the Sioux Greyhounds. Um, but the first season uh, of Dubas running the, the the Greyhounds, the theme of the season was the Rising, which was all borrowed from Bruce Springsteen because this was the Sioux Greyhounds sort of redeveloping and rebuilding their program. So the like, Dubas's love of Springsteen is uh, mm. super legit and goes way back. Yeah, I remember that first season was was titled The Rising, and everywhere you went with the Sioux Greyhounds, it was all The Rising, The Rising, and that song Come was on playing up everywhere. The yeah, you there know you it. There yeah. you go. I you mean, know that a girl. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know he didn't know his future at that point, but like. Maybe save that bit for the Leafs. Mm. I mean, can he recycle that bit? Yeah, no kidding. Eh? Maybe it was his own rising, again. I guess. He's the, like, it, it's, um, oh, by the way, did you guys see the Jonathan Quick news overnight? We did. We did. We did. You did? Okay, so you guys are uh, on top of that one. Um, so a couple of things here with the Maple Leafs. Uh, hands up. Anyone think that he, uh, the Dubas is done? I don't our, think all so. All four of our arms are down. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't <laughs> seem that way with uh, with about a bajillion defensemen to uh, to to play with here. I think one of the things that um most certainly one of the things that I'm wondering about here is how do they use Eric Gustafson? First of all, that left side is stacked and where I mean and he's not going to get out there and, and anchor the power play. How are they going to use Gustafson here? This is the one that I kind of keep scratching my head about. Like, I know a big part of that deal with the Capitals was getting that first round, um, getting that first round pick, the uh, mm-hmm. the Boston Bruins pick, and the Orloff Hathaway deal. How is Gust? I understand the idea. If you're going to go deep, you need defensemen, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at that left side, and you always look for sort of skill redundancy and overlap. How are they going to use Gustafson here? That's one that I keep coming back to. Yeah, I'm really not sure. I don't know exactly why that was involved. I mean, I guess I maybe in my mind considered it as the throw-in, but it's kind of redundant with Connor Timmons a little bit too. Like, I, I don't know if you can be trusting yourself to use either of those players, honestly, when when we get down different to it. Different side. D- different side, right? but like, different, it's like, different okay, side D. I guess that's like the chosen kind of attribute when it comes to depth, like that type of defenseman when really they've been coveting the opposite in, yeah. in terms of what they've added here with Luke Shen and Jake McCabe. So yeah, it is a little bit curious, but it Man. feels like, it felt like yesterday when Justin Hall was playing with Morgan Riley that, yeah, there's something else happening here. And I, I guess we saw some of that, but maybe there's another step. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wonder if this is as well, because one of the things, and I know that Mark Giordano is going to hate listening to this here on the radio, and he's going to hate hearing it from Sheldon Key for Leafs fans, but, you know, uh, do you not have to have, you know, the more profound conversation here? Like, let's put a, a, a load management schedule together um, for Mark Giordano, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, I know he wants to play every single game, wants to keep playing 20 minutes a game, wants to be at every practice, optional or otherwise, but... He's 39 years old. Well, you talked about right? him. Like, you had an interview with him. You, you talked oh, yeah. about that. He, he didn't seem like a yeah, guy who was interested. willing to sit down. No. no. He's not interested. But in his best interest and in the team's best interest, like, 
look, this team needs you for a long playoff run. I know you don't want to do this. I get it. And I know that athletes have a rhythm and a daily routine and it helps them with their focuses. And I understand all the benefits to it. But, you know, when you start looking at back-to-backs now down the stretch, I don't know. I, I and, and maybe that's the slot where Eric Gustafson goes in. I don't know. The, the the Gustafson piece to this is a little bit, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. I just don't know where he fits specifically. Having said that, you know, you have an offensively minded defenseman and if you need goals, you can you can certainly slide mm-hmm. him in there. That that's that's the one that's just a little bit curious for me. Well, they're running nine deep now, which gives them flexibility in the regular season. It yeah. gives them flexibility mo- most importantly in the postseason. But when you kinda like take the, you know, detach not detached view, but you take the entire uh, body of work from Kyle Dubas so far and trying to make sense of it all and knowing that there might be a piece to come. You know, we're talking about six additions and I've kind of discounted Eric Gustafson as an addition, at least five that are going to be playing no matter what, unless they're injured uh, and, and six in total here. And really only a net loss in terms of like premium assets, one first round pick, given that they've got another one in return. I guess you can consider yeah. Rasmus Sandin a premium asset at this point, if you so choose but I feel like this is this has been these last 10, 11 days, Kyle Dubas's finest moment as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a, a couple of things with that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think it really does lead to an interesting conversation. Um, we talk about general managers understanding the CBA and being able to work with the CBA and understanding the landscape and being able to, you know, take take advantage um, you know, take take advantage of uh, of other teams and their situation. Like I, I look at what Dubas has done here with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and well, f- first off, the one thing that that Dubas didn't have on his resume was the blockbuster. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like yep. the one thing that Dubas doesn't have, because you know whether it's signings and regular season success and hundred points and you know elite players and all. Like he has all those things on his resume. He's like when if Kyle Dubas ever has to go to market to shop his wares, you know he's checked a lot of boxes. The one box that hasn't been checked, you know, before the Ryan O'Reilly deal was the blockbuster trade. Was he able to pull something like that off? And the Ryan O'Reilly trade happens a couple of weeks ago. But now this is kind of like a, uh, uh, I don't want to call it masterclass because that's too much of a cliche, but he's really done a, a wonderful job here in, learn, in in showing how to maneuver within a very, and I know a lot of this rests on Brandon Pridham as well, because I always want to include him. I mean, it, right around this time of year, um, your salary cap manager <laughs> um, really does a lot of the heavy lifting here to to make all these things work. But he's really kind of um, put on a clinic, hasn't he? Uh, I, I, I said Justin's to, used the word masterclass. I, I got masterclass two in there. I think it's masterclass. You think masterclass? Here, here's what I like about it the most, Merrick. Uh, okay. The flexibility moving forward here, a little under a million when you activate Matt Murray, but Kyle yep. Dubas has put the Leafs in a position where if anything else comes across their desk over the next 48 yep. hours, they can do it. And think about the the, the lengths that New, New York, the Rangers have gone in order to get Patrick Kane in the lineup. Yeah, it was gift wrapped to them, 75% retained. He There yep. was no other option, and still they had to go through and jump through hoops to get to the point where they could add him to the roster. The Leafs, if yep. anything comes across, if someone's dangling out there uh, uh, without a dance partner at the end, they can make that move. They can change. They can turn Kerfoot into an impact forward. They could turn Hall into an impact defenseman. They could turn Matt Murray into an impact goaltender. Dubas is at the point where he's manipulated it, where he has more flexibility now than when he started 
this process mm-hmm. of trading. And for that reason, I do think it's a masterclass cliche or not. That's fair. Um, I mean, I, I think the it's one of those situations that you can't judge until you see the results. Like, we'll see. Like, at the end of all of this, um, you know, at the egg, like if, if Ryan O'Reilly wins another Conn Smythe trophy, you know, getting way ahead of ourselves here, obviously, Woo. but you know, I think we're, I think we're looking at, yes, it looks fantastic. And what he's brought in looks tremendous on paper. We'll see what happens when they hit the ice against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what this team can end up doing in the, uh, in the playoffs, certainly in that opening round against Tampa. Um, I think if there is the success that the Maple Leafs are hoping for, I think at that point we'll look back and I'll say, yeah, you know what? Masterclass, the way he was able to do this. But what it shows is, because there's been a lot of talk about Kyle Dubas and his contract and, oh, you know what, Kyle Dubas is, you know, doing this just for his contract, throwing everything against the wall, just loading up on players, trying to grab everything. No, because to your point, Justin, this is all very deliberate, very calculated. This is all a plan. This is reading the marketplace and pivoting quickly and understanding the CBA. Again, yes, working closely with Brandon Pridham, but being able to navigate and maneuver in a very, very tricky salary cap universe right now. And one that's probably not going to get better anytime soon, certainly not next season, you know, despite what, uh, what Gary Bettman may have said recently. Um, I think what this does is... For every other team around the NHL, watching Dubas do this, they're probably saying to themselves, how do we get this in our organization? You know, he's a young, now experienced general manager in the National Hockey League that can work within a very, very corporate environment under tremendous amounts of pressure um, in the quote-unquote center of the hockey universe. And I know I can hear people screaming right now saying, well, it's easy when you have all the resources that Dubas (laughs) has because no other manager in the NHL has afforded the same level of Uh, the same level of resources as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And yes, I get that. But he's been able to stick handle through all of this and not come apart at the seams and not rush anything and not panic at all. To me, like, I, 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 I still don't know if I'd call it masterclass. I will warm to it because I like you. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty impressive. And if the Maple Leafs are, you know, despite whatever happens here at, uh, during, during the playoffs, if they're considering punting on Dubas, I mean, he'll be as unemployed for as long as he wants to, to me, this is, uh, this is great for the Dubas resume. Oh yeah. This is, this is, this is Dubas. This is like the young executive coming of age story. This isn't just, oh, you know, I'm going to trade a first-round pick for Nick Felino. We're going to cross our fingers. Like, this is really significant, serious, you know, like legit veteran general manager stuff. As a lot of older general managers right now find themselves, you know, trapped in salary cap hell and don't have the ability to maneuver themselves out because they're still married to an old system. You know, Dubas is really demonstrating that he's one of the finest young GMs in this industry right now and let go of him at your own peril let go of him at your own peril even if they don't get out of the first round that resume still has the gamble of two goaltenders that were unproven or proven in the past that were dealing with some question marks around this season and they have two more days is that something you see them maybe trying to find another fit for to make this more of a 
masterclass trade deadline. Um, I know that la- late last night we saw Corpusalo move off the table. Yeah. You know that trade was kind of w- shocking to many. But is there a way that they mm-hmm. can continue to not only make the offense, the defense, and the goaltending better this trade deadline? I kind of thought that I'm, I'm glad you brought up Corpusalo, Eilish, because I kind of thought that was going to be the maneuver because it seemed like a very Kyle Dubas mm-hmm. thing to do. And so, and, and well, first of all, I mean, he's been Corpusaloed before. You know, go back to the bubble, and that was, you know, <laughs> the theme of this conversation is masterclass. That was a goaltending masterclass. I know we talk a lot about Bubble Demko with the Vancouver Canucks. Corpusalo in the bubble against the Toronto Maple Leafs was outstanding, and he's over the hip surgery. This is one of the reasons why you know, I brought up Corpusalo, was it three weeks ago on Hockey Nights? Um, just pointing out, you know, what his numbers have been like going back to early December over the hip surgery, been one of the top goaltenders and goals saved above um, uh, uh, expected. He's um, he's someone who is a, a, a very quiet, smart decision uh, pick right now for, uh, for an NHL team. Um, I, I, I kind of thought this one had Kyle Dubas written all over it, or maybe even Florida Panthers written all over it. Panthers tried to grab him very quietly at deadline last season. I don't think they got a lot of publicity, uh, just to try to bring him in as, as goalie insurance. And I thought that Dubas was going to do the same thing here with, with Jonas Corposalo, that he was going to be brought in just for that, that insurance. And anyone that's watched Corposalo since December has come away saying the same thing. This guy's back. This guy's healthy. This guy's back to being a uh, uh, you know on the on the upper end of goaltenders in the NHL. I really thought Ailish that was going to be one of Toronto's moves, but now he's off to Los Angeles with uh, with Gavrikov. Yeah, I don't know if Dubis was in the building. There few people were in the building for this, but I remember Corpusalo out dueling Vasilevsky in I think it was a game one in during the bubble at Scotiabank Arena. Oh yeah, he made what eighty five saves or something ridiculous. Uh, he's done it before. In terms of outdueling Vasilevsky, maybe there was uh, the option for him to do it again. He's healthy. Uh, he's he's healthy now. Like I always, whenever I see someone have hip surgery, player, goaltender, uh, animal, vegetable, mineral, like whatever, like I always give them at least like a year, maybe a year and a half grace. Like I don't judge. Like hip surgery is just awful for for players. I'm still eight years into my recovery, Jeff. How you feeling, Ailish? Never the same. <laughs> you know I'll tell you that. Like. <laughs> so I always, I always cut a lot of slack for players coming off of off of hip surgery, specifically goaltenders, considering how that part of the body is so important to what they do. Okay, so maybe Dubas has to look elsewhere if he wants to try and upgrade the goaltending position. Um, but I think we can reflect and continue this conversation uh, on Kyle Dubas. And I think what we saw at least yesterday was kind of a departure from what we maybe expected from Dubas, at least early on in his career. So do you subscribe to the notion that he's changed? And in what ways do you think he's changed for the better over the course of his career with the Maple Leafs? Uh, I think this is, you know, much like the team that he has, I think this is just a process of maturing. I, I really do. Like, it, it, who's ready for their first job in the NHL as general manager? I mean, really, I remember having this conversation um, with Brian Burke. I remember asking, like, were you ready for your, your first job as, as GM in Hartford? And he's like, no, of course I wasn't. Nobody is. He said, uh, it's a great story, Justin. He said, you know, I was, I was trying, I was going to make the uh, the Bobby Holik deal and I picked up the phone to call and then I got nervous and I hung up and I picked up the phone again and I got nervous and hung up and there was no one else in the room. There was no one I could talk to. There was no one that I could, you know, bounce ideas off of. He said, I went for a walk and I came back and I picked up the phone again to make the deal and I hung up the phone again. It's like, you know, that that's what you're like when you, when you first start, no matter how much assistant general manager experience you have. 
Um, I just think that we're seeing the maturing uh, of a young executive. I think we're seeing the maturing of a general manager. I think that he, I mean, it, it's impossible not to, to sit in that chair and and learn things along the way you know it was we all know. like dubas is a big process guy right like that's 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 what he does and and that's how he thinks um and i think that he's someone who's more comfortable in his own skin and more comfortable with his decisions like you remember the the original kyle dubas that we all saw in toronto it was it was quick to you know uh he was very much a player's general manager um, he was someone that would accept and absorb blame in order to protect his players, not unlike a coach after a loss. You know, we used to always see, you know, Pat Quinn standing outside the, the visitor's dressing room on the road and after a big loss and just filibuster out there with the media while his entire team composed themselves and, and some of the guys took the, the back door so they wouldn't have to deal with the media. But, like, that was his way of protecting his team. You know, we saw Dubas do that. But as a general manager early, I think that Dubas, over the course of his career as a, as a manager, is less that guy and is 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 turning more into – and I think it's inev- an inevitability. And I think you have to do it for, uh, for your own self-preservation. Not that he's turning into, you know, a you know ruthless general manager, like whether it's Steve Eiserman and Julian Brisebois, these types of people. Um, but I think he is becoming more cold, calculated, um, more of a traditional, you know, this is just business and this is like not to say that he doesn't have a you know empathy for players, but I think he's he's turning more into a uh a cold, calculated general manager and is worried less about mushy things like feelings, Justin. <laughs> Do you get that sense too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things like Sandine is, Sandine is a dubious guy, Sue guy, one of his picks, a strong analytical profile. His, his one of his guys. Pick. His and, first pick. And more, he's more willing to put up his hand. Yeah, we made a mistake here. Let's move on from it. Let's trim the fat. Let's make sure that I'm not clinging to what I thought I knew. And I do think that is progress. You know what? I, you know, I, I don't know that he'll look at, at Sandine as... Um... I don't know that he'll look at it respectfully. I don't know if he'll look at it, Sandine, as a mistake. I think that Dubas, like this, one of the things that we've learned in this in the salary cap, you know, it's, I, it's weird saying that because we all swim in it going back to 0405. One of the things in a salary cap system that I think <clears throat> Dubas understands, um, and that I think a lot of smart general managers understand, that if you have a chance to improve your team, considering the financial you know ha- uh, handcuffs that every manager has around the NHL, everyone has the same amount of money. You can wiggle it a little bit, but essentially everybody has the same money. The one overriding philosophy that I think the successful managers follow is if you have a chance to improve your team, even by a smidgen, mm-hmm. even by a tiny, tiny, even by the tiniest amount, you have to do it. Yeah. Right. For the longest time, it was like, ah, it's not much of an improvement. We're not going to do it. We like our guy. I think the smart managers are learning in the salary cap system, especially in the flat cap system. If you have a chance even to move your program forward an inch or an inch and a half, you do it. And I think that's what we saw with the uh, with the Rasmus. It was that. That's what I'm talking about. Like you remove all emotion and oh, he's the he's the first choice that I made. He's a Sioux guy and all that stuff. No, 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 no. 
I have a chance to improve my team, move it forward an inch, I'm going to do it. That is the Dubas we see now. Yeah, not a mistake to draft him, but it would have been a mistake, an avoiding mistake, to not move him, to not improve, to not improve by that inch. And I think the Leafs have improved by multiple inches here. Or emotionally hang on to it because he's, quote, unquote, you're a guy. Mm-hmm. In a salary cap world, there can't be any your guys. If you can improve by making a move, you got to do it. Okay. Or, Sorry, go uh, We got to let you go, Merrick. Uh, we're looking forward to all the content, all the conversation, 32 thoughts, trade deadline special on Friday. Uh, we're looking forward to it. This is turning out to be a tremendous deadline, and we appreciate you coming on and giving us insight. Get used to seeing the top of my head and my thumbs and ditto for Elliot as David throws to us. Interesting. Although, this may be a tap dance day, man. Like, me and Elliot may have the easiest gig. Normally, that desk has the toughest job. Considering how everyone's going right now, it may be like, you know, Kevin and David and Carolyn. Like, those are the people they're going to have to really put on the show You better bring more stories about the Bruce Springsteen and Dubas. (laughs) And the rising. Dubas should have held that for the Leafs, and you should have held that for Friday's show. Just do karaoke. You'll be good. Uh, that's good stuff. All, All right, right. Well, enjoy it. It's fun. More, more to come. Thanks so much for uh, for jumping on. We'll chat Friday. Uh, as Jeff Merrick hosted the Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of Thirty Two Thoughts, the podcast. Big weeks, big week, big couple days for the likes of the insiders. Yeah, Friday will be interesting. <laughs> Friday will be interesting. That's the day you bring a lot of fun antidote stories like, yeah, 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 I got this funny little and Merrick's got side them. story uh, I agree with him on all counts of Dubas I'm, li- I'm glad that we kind of hung on Dubas there with Merrick we got Jason Bukula later mm-hmm. we can talk about the actual players a little bit more with him but I agree win-win he's done his job in my eyes right done his job you cannot take away from what he's done this week and so if that leads to a playoff run great beat Tampa Bay slay the dragon great Beat Boston, amazing. Oof. Maybe trip up against Boston. Maybe it's maybe you survive and you can see what Dubas did and how the process may be more important. Well, not more important than the result, let's be honest. But the process, you can weigh that against the result a little bit. But if it doesn't work out, he's right. He gets snatched up in seconds if Kyle Dubas is indeed a free agent at some point this summer. That's just the reality. So he did his job. He showed it. And everything else or the other part of it is that it was a demonstration for the other 31 teams that this is one of the most capable general managers in the league. You see other teams failure to do things. You see Kenny Holland working tirelessly just to get Matias Ekholm. And that's not just to get, but like you did one thing and you've been failing over and over and over again to get proper support for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Lots of general managers make excuses. We've seen nothing but solutions for Kyle Dubas here in the last 10 days. And for that reason, it's impossible for the rest of the league to not take notice of it. I think it just adds a level of respect too. Like he's a young guy. You have to earn your footing. We talked about this. I think it was last year around the trade deadline or seeing other, our other GMs make trades that you thought the Maple Leafs could be on as a dance partner. Maybe they just didn't have that level of appreciation for a young guy. I get it but he's earned that more than 10 times over. And also, you didn't want to leave this end of the season with questions of what if he put it all on the table. And mm-hmm. you're not going to have any questions about, well, what if he did try to, that trade that we heard you rumored about, uh, you know, midway through the trade deadline, it could have been really good. Then somebody else pounced on it. And then you left with, well, it could have worked actually. It could have worked and now we don't have it. Like last night's trade with, the goaltender shuffle, that one that one will be interesting because if they're left without an opportunity to improve the 
goaltending situation, and this is what happens in the playoffs, which would be just very negative Nancy perspective. It could happen, though. Then we look at, well, you did all these other things. You bolstered your blue line. You added to your bottom six. You really gave your team an entire facelift, but you're left with a question mark in net, and that was the undoing. Yeah, it is It is worth, it's back of the mind, always goaltending, right? But this this team is all in, and they got first-round draft picks the next two next two years. Mm-hmm. In 2023 and 2024, they are scheduled to choose in the first round. And they have added six players, maybe more. And it looks like they've exhausted all resources in order to get better in a lot of ways they have. But they still have the flexibility to be even better over the next 48 hours. Flexibility, still, you still, like, you haven't given up everything in order to get to this point. Like, there are not many concessions being made here. Kyle Dubas has found a way to balance future, present, aggressiveness, patience. All of this right now is working in his favor. You can't really say, hey, he did this, but this. There's no there's no buts right now other than the goaltending. That's really the only but, and he still has 48 hours to potentially address that. Could be a big but. It's the biggest but. There are still some pretty good trade candidates on the market, though. So it's not like you shouldn't be tuning in Friday for the full day of coverage wall-to-wall, but... I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> oh, my God. If he doesn't go. What if with, he comes to play for the Maple think, Leafs? Think of all everything. Patrick Kane has traded. Jonathan Quick, legends, movement, money being exchanged hands, third-party brokers, bankers, <laughs> everyone involved except Jacob Chikrin, it seems. If he doesn't get moved, honestly, like, why wouldn't the Leafs? I mean, I guess the oh, price oh is God, the price. But why not? It's funny. We had a good text in about this. Same guy, JD, in St. Catharines. I can't help but play Sarah McLaughlin's in the arms of an angel in my head, thinking about Jacob Chikrin looking to the sky for someone to rescue him. It's It truly is incredible <laughs> that he's still there. It almost feels oh, intentional now, buddy. which is pretty sad. So, yes, Jacob Chikrin available. Uh, Eric Carlson, probably not. John Klingberg, though. We mm-hmm. brought him up yesterday. Matt Dumba. Um the ghost from Arizona. Who else we got on this list? Oh, I heard Tyler Bertuzzi rumblings yesterday. Yeah, another loss for Detroit. Maybe they look to mm-hmm. sell off. Maybe Iserman gets real aggressive over the last couple of days here. I don't know. There's still some. There's still some buzz. I think Friday is going to be great. I think there's still more moves that we might see today and tomorrow. I, I still think we're we're in store for some entertainment. Still, I believe Carolina oh. hasn't done anything yet. Yeah, Carolina. Hello. The West Coast has a pulse again. So Pooley Arby's not enough. No, Colorado hasn't done anything. Certainly not. So lots to come. Um, 595.90, the text line's open. Send in your wake and rake picks. The Maple Leafs playing against the Edmonton Oilers tonight. A big battle of some superstars and some new faces in the lineup. That's at 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, Raptors off. They played last night against the Bulls. They'll play tomorrow against the Wizards and again Saturday against the Wizards. You can send in your picks from that at 595.90. We also want to know your thoughts and feels on where the Maple Leafs are at after a flurry of signings yesterday. Three in less than an hour. Lots of faces in, a couple faces out. Will they do a tribute for Pierre Engvall on the video board? Well, I can't wait for that. This is a question that I wish I didn't already know the answer to, but shouldn't McCabe have given his number up for Shen? It was perfect. Uh, it's perfect. McCabe's but he signed, got three years. But he signed one day before, and then here comes Shen with his number ripped from his grasp. Yeah, I guess. What's new is old again. Or, I don't know. Yeah. It would have been cool to see Shen in 22 again. I mean. again. Now he's in 22, so he's like double double good. He's twice as good 
as when the Maple Leafs drafted him fifth overall in they 2008. Can they can only hope. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about those Raptors that got a win, a much-needed win last night. Um, Katie Heindel joins us on the other side of the break, NBA writer at Dime Slam Magazine, New York Times. She's a big New York Times gal now. And Yahoo Sports, that's on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Toronto Raptors won eight of their last ten games. Don't call it a comeback. Playing for what? <sighs> Going to be top-seeded here soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been good. It's been good. They've been beating some, you know, teams that aren't prolific, but a win's a win. Last night was a big one. They needed it. Um, the team right behind them. The Bulls, they got Washington also nipping at their heels. You got to string together some good performances. They've been pretty well um, on home court here over over the stretch at Scotiabank Arena. A 104-98 win last night with a new face in the lineup. To break all this down is our gal, Katie Heindel, NBA writer at Dime Slam Magazine in New York Times. We get to add something into the bio this time around. And yeah, who's sports? Adding to this. It's great. How's it going, Katie? <laughs> I gotta keep you guys on your toes. Good yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, you got any new uh, publications? We got a list in there coming up. Just uh, next time, we'll uh, keep yeah. the list going. But that was cool. It was great to see your um, your article in the New York Times. You got to bring it to the dunk competition. I guess we didn't really get to follow up with the last time you were in Utah. I don't know if we've talked since then. But how was that experience? Utah was strangely great. <laughs> not, right. not a lot to do in Utah. Charles, uh, Charles Barkley was right. Um, but, you know, he still managed to find some fun. I think uh, something about All-Star being in a smaller city like that kind of makes it a lot more weird and fun and interesting because you don't know who you're going to run into and where you're going to run into them. The energy was really high. Um, I thought the dunk contest, I can't see for the All-Star game, but I thought the dunk contest was phenomenal. Yes. There you go. You get your wish. There you go. <laughs> Any uh, Mac McClung tattoos? Didn't you have a, you have a tattoo for the commemorate the dunk contest? Was it that good of a performance from Mac? No, um, Mac's <laughs> lovely, but um, yeah, that's like uh, that's a commitment I'm not quite ready to make. That's that's definitely fair. <laughs> uh, strangely great is good. It's nice to be strangely great. You can be surprised <laughs> by strangely great, and of course, enjoy strangely great. Uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez was. Not strangely great, maybe just strange. Uh, we hardly knew Wancho. He goes out the door. Uh, how are you going to remember the remember rather the Wancho era? Um, I feel like it was perhaps the front office being swayed by a certain you know star celebrity presence, maybe rough. like little stars in their that's, eyes. That's rough. That's a not good for Masai Ujiri's resume. Yeah, we we, we kind of like the movie star. We wanted the movie star. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm always. It's always a bummer to see when you know guys don't bring what it is they. It seems like they wanted to do off the bench. I don't know if that comes down to just like aptitude and capability or his fit with the team. Obviously, it was a you know a messy. It's been a messy season. Um, sad to see him go, but at the same time, quite happy to see Will Barton come in in his place. Okay, yeah. So Will Barton, he comes in yesterday. He's already in full. Uh, Raptors gear before the reporters are even at the arena to see him. Um, give us the breakdown on who the Raptors are hoping they get from Will Barton. Yeah, I mean, he's like an 11-year vet in the league. I think he's 
pretty good, competent creator uh, on the offensive end. He's a great rebounder. He really, like, showed his stripes there uh, with the Nuggets. He can shoot the three, you know, here and there. I feel like that's almost par for the course with this team. Uh, He's had playoff experience with the Nuggets, you know, and I think what's more to me is that he was part of a very competitive, cooperative uh, group with the Nuggets, you know, and he does bring some experience and guidance. I think that Toronto could use at this point. Um, I do think it's a great pickup. I'm actually a little bit surprised that the Wizards let him go. Uh, that his, his numbers are pretty low for the season just because he was hardly getting played. But if you go back, you know, not even two seasons back, I think at like the heyday of the Nuggets, he was a really crucial part of that team. So I was happy to see him. I was kind of surprised to see him already on the floor. He didn't get a ton done. I think it was more to just like get him in the mix. And this is a, it's funny that we're still at this point of like experimenting with lineups, but that's just where we are and we should accept it. Uh, but he's a great presence and he just, you know, seems like a, a very warm uh, hearted guy. Warm hearted is good. Uh, if that's a, <laughs> if it's a, you know, if if Barton for Wancho is like a small step towards optimization and Pirtle is a pretty sizable step towards mm-hmm. optimization, what should like the reality or upshot be for this team? Is it gatekeeper? Is it premium gatekeeper? Can they do some damage? Like wh- where do you see them as they, as it stands now? I like premium gatekeeper <laughs> in this context. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, if you're looking at the rest of the season, you've got that play in advantage now over the Bulls. The thing with the, the, like, you've got, now you have to go out and get that advantage over pretty much every team you're facing in the, at least in the East. You know, you've got the next two games against the Wizards. They're important. It's like the Raptors are going to take this road to the play in. Um, they've got a pretty tough, if not, I think the toughest schedules, you know, to end to end the regular season for this next like little over a month of games. I think uh, it's, it's like what we talked about last time, which is every, it's just going to have to be a one, one off basis. Like every game you're going to have to play a little bit different, even when you've got a back to back against a team like the wizards that can still sort of mess up your bigger picture. And if the bigger picture right now is the play in, you've just got to optimize their team as best you can. I think the good news about that is last night was the first night we saw the whole team available, healthy, ready to play since the trade deadline. And you see, you know, the benefits of that, maybe not on the shooting end, but uh, like more widely across the floor. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, I think like, again, when you've got tiebreakers with Pacers, Hawks, Wizards, it's going to come down to just like a bit of a scrap every game. So I don't think the next, the rest of the season is going to be that pretty. But again, that's not what we had pretty much at any point of the season. So par for the course. Yeah, definitely a tough schedule down the stretch. Uh, winnable games right in front of them. Hopefully, if you're going to be that premium gatekeeper, got to beat Washington. Um, but uh, Blake Murphy made a great point on the Raptors show with Will Lou yesterday. The Raptors closed the season with three straight games against Milwaukee and Boston. Uh, and those games might be rest games for the two mm-hmm. best teams in the Eastern Conference. So that probably skews things given that they have those three games, but maybe they're a little easier than they should be at least right now when we're looking at it. Uh, Pirtle is, as much as Barton makes a small difference, Pirtle is the guy making the bigger difference right now. I wonder in which ways he surprised you as a player. Um, uh, frankly, for me, his passing ability is very, very impressive. I think he's one of the best passers on this team, uh, but that's just my view of things. In what ways do you think uh, Pirtle gives value that maybe was unexpected? In what ways he's impressed you the most? Yeah, 
I think I'm with you on the passing. I do think that's partially due to how he was used in the San Antonio system. He seems like he's kind of perked up to me uh, with with Toronto. Like he's being asked to do a little bit of everything, which we knew that was going to happen. Everybody's asked to do a little bit of everything on this team, but he's really kind of, I think, happily and with a lot of energy stepped into that role. And that's something that the team really needed. Um, if we're talking about, just like how much easier he's made it up around the glass, you know, like like last night's game is a prime example. You're not winning on shooting. You're winning by like digging in on making the most of second chance opportunities, digging in on defense, you know, you force the bulls into 20 turnovers. Pirtle's a really big part of that. Um, but like you said, I think the passing presence at the rim, just the overall kind of completeness that he's come to the team with. Cause I will admit I was a little bit, skeptical i wasn't really sure if this was an upgrade or more of kind of a lateral move and how it was going to really advance the team but when you address one of the gaping problems which was actually having like a competent big at that position who now turns out can do a lot of this extra stuff you want him to do it's turned into just kind of a sigh of relief i feel like it's freed everybody up to do to be more specialized in their roles which does seem to me a little bit of a relief you know you look even at how impactful somebody like Scotty Barnes got to be in the fourth quarter last night. Um, you know, again, the shooting was not great last night, but I think the overall sample size of what we've seen so far from, um, you know, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and just what Pirtle does to them, he just creates a lot more space. He's kind of a great fixed, like calm center point of gravity. So I'm very, um, very happily surprised. So with Fred back to in back into the lineup after um, the birth of his third child, which is exciting, mm-hmm. and we're hoping for that dad strength to come back. The uh, <laughs> the Raptors had their first time with a full rotation since acquiring Jakob Pertl. So now we're looking for some consistency. It was their 23rd different starting lineup this season in total already. With the with the five on the floor, Gary Trent's been pushed to the bench now. What I saw, what I liked yesterday about Gary was he was also flexible to come in and close the game at the end of uh, the crunch time where we really needed him. Do you see him as a little bit of a hybrid role and and accepting the fact that he isn't a starter right now, which he was on the Raptors show actually as well. Wow, big Raptors show, shout out day to us, but saying, you know, everyone's dream to be a starter, obviously. He's not in that role right now with the addition of a couple guys, but him on the bench, there could still be some positivity or some flexibility with his role in and out of that space. Yeah, I think so. And I think like when you're looking at maybe the little bit of drought or slackening on his shooting, I do think that's an anomaly more than the rule for him. I do like him and his capability and patience is coming off the bench, especially when that's something that was he was they, the, the front office was critical of him at the beginning of the season, whether or not he'd be able to take that role, um, you know, whether or not he'd be able to step up defensively. And I think we've seen him. I honestly don't think he's gotten enough credit because we've seen him do that consistently and very like quietly and willingly throughout the season. Um, when we've talked about like maybe riffs or tension with the team, I really don't think any of that's come from Gary not being satisfied or like showing, um, you know, any discomfort with, with what he's been asked to do on the floor. Uh, I, I do think you've got to take that into consideration when you look at his contract uh, this summer, just because like you want, you want guys around that are willing to do, to do a little bit of everything and more than that have kind of flourished in that role. And like, frankly, the Raptors can use an offensive punch to close out any game, the way that they're winning games 
this season when they've won them is so close (laughs) and it's like it's kind of just by the you know the skin of their teeth so if he can come back and bring that shooting back and be that extra offensive um, punch off the bench if we're talking about you know playing him alongside Will Barton and we see that kind of offensive uh, confidence that we saw last night from Scotty Barnes too I think that's a great combination to close out games. Let's hang on Scotty Barnes there for a second. Uh, fourth quarter B, I think they were calling him last <laughs> night. Uh, how do we create fourth quarter conditions in all quarters? <laughs> yeah. um, well, I don't think we can because I feel like the fourth quarter Scotty Barnes is coming out from just like his absolute discomfort uh, with losing and his obsession with winning. Um, I think last night, though, his blocks were what impressed me the most because in those we were seeing his confidence and, you know, that had been an area where Nick Nurse had been critical of Scotty Barnes this season. Um, He called out, you know, his aggressiveness on the floor, whether he was like really bringing it when he could. Um, I thought that like there was, it was that last sequence and this is the Scotty I would love to see throughout every quarter, but he rebounded and dunked the ball from OG's missed free throw. And then he had like, if you thought like that was disrespectful, him, he then went in for like a chase down block, I think on the bulls last possession to close out the game. He he knew the spread, Katie. He knew the spread Raptors by four and a half. Exactly. He was working for everybody. Um, But I think that was also perfect because it's just like you, you need some audacity. I think, especially given the, the criticism that he's gotten this season and the way that he's sort of grown and grown into this role and been able to uh, put all the different kind of skills he's learning together. Um, after the game, you know, Fred Van Lee said Scotty was keyed in and talking and he gave and he gave like Fred and Pascal, you know, the boosts that they needed. And as I mentioned previously, like that offensive spark is what the Raptors need to close out every single game this season thus far and certainly going forward. So if we can, I don't know, like convince Scotty, <laughs> things are much more dire maybe more toward the second quarter than like the start of the fourth i think it'd be great well just have the uh video board always have fourth quarter up on yeah. there and just confuse yeah. them and he'll just play like that uh all out um okay so og had a little bit of a tough return from injury uh, a slow ramping up period I'm, I'm hoping to put it in as that because last night he he did a great job in shutting down demar Derozan, who obviously we know uh, and love here in this city and he was not an impact player at the level that he has been when he's come to play against the Raptors at the Scotiabank Arena. Um, OG making positive strides to being back in that, at least in that defensive realm of where we've put him and where he was in the trade deadline as, as one of the guys that the entire league has their eyes on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, I've seen some criticism of OG, but I, do, I don't really think this is a fair showing of, of, like, at least thus far up to now. I think last night is probably a more fair showing of how he plays and how we like know him as a player uh that dunk on demar Derozan, i think punctuates that perfectly though that is like a little bit wrenching for you as a toronto and demar fan and then kind of watching og kind of rise up over him um but i think there's some clarity obviously for any player whose name is brought up over and over and over again in a trade deadline situation uh, it can't be a good feeling but i think you've got to come back and just sort of double down and dig into the team that you're on. You don't know what's going to happen this off season, but you know where the team is headed and you know, there's still time to kind of create and solidify your role and how important you are to the team. I think just OG's capabilities, um, 
on the offensive end too, but like def- defensively, I think that's like where his bread and butter is. So if he knows like, you know, the shots aren't falling or if he's not such a great creator, or he's like a little bit in a bind offensively, like he was last night, he can at least fall back on that. Um, and I just, again, like, I, I feel like I'm just harping on like, these things will kind of come together in the next like month and like a week or so. They also have to. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think it was really a fair sample size to say like, oh, we should have, we really missed out on trading him. I think that's what everybody thought was going to happen. But now you should be very grateful that he's still here. Yeah, definitely a recalibration process. I think for OG, both in terms of getting over the injury and getting over maybe the shock, mm-hmm. disappointment, whatever you want to call it, of uh, not being dealt when it seemed it was certain that he would. Uh, if he does recapture that rhythm, it might leave Precious Achua as really the only one that Jakob Pertl seems to not have a positive influence on. Uh, yeah, you know, we were talking about the conditions for Scotty Barnes' fourth quarter being the best for him. What are the best conditions for Precious Achua to be an impact player for this team? I think Precious' role is kind of interesting because we've seen him thus far more as like a mercenary kind of player. We haven't really seen him in a firm part of the rotation. You know, Nick Nurse just kind of slots him in where he needs him, and he's been able and willing to do that. He was injured for a good chunk of the season, so we didn't get to see that as much. Um, I don't think Precious is like – I really don't think this this roster right now is too crowded. I think, like, what you've done by cutting Wancho, bringing in Will Barton, it doesn't – that's like your that's still kind of like your last your last sense of support. Precious can fit in really well on the bench alongside Gary if we're talking about closing out games and you want some like defensive muscle and a little bit um you know what like he kind of I think of him as where Chris Boucher can kind of fit in, which is a bit of a surprise sometimes, you know, like a bit of a wily presence on the floor. Um, he's so strong. He's really versatile. I really don't think his development is going to take a hit. Um, I think he's probably learning a lot from Pirtle because there's such a competency, as we talked about earlier, that Yaka brings in a completeness that um, Precious Chua just doesn't have yet, and I don't really think that's a fault of his own. It's just where he's at in the league and how he's you know, been used on this team <clears throat> um, and where he started with Miami. So I think this is just, again, something he'll grow into a larger role. And if he has to take a backseat, that's fine, too. Uh, your substack is called Basketball Feelings, and I wonder uh, <laughs> what the basketball feelings are with DeMar DeRozan when he rolls through town. <laughs> um, they're always high. They're always up. Uh, I have to say I was a little bit bummed out last night when the big cut, too. I didn't wasn't able to make it to the game last night, but there was a camera cut to DeMar kind of storming off yeah, the floor quite quickly. Sad. Yeah, and like going into that visitor's locker room. I think that still must be so weird for him to just like make a beeline not down, you know, like mm-hmm. to go against your habit and be like, oh, right, that's not where I go. I go down here. I take this long, lonely walk into the visitor's locker room. Um, but beyond that, and I hope that was just kind of an anomaly because I think one of the best things about seeing DeMarco Rosen back in Toronto is just how comfortable and happy and genuinely at home he seems to be when he's here. You know, he's like saying hi to not just like media and team staff, but like arena staff, all the people, like the support staff, all the people that he's known for so many years. Like he really just does seem like a fully like just very, very comfortable with himself in a way that I'm, I don't think he was when he left Toronto for the reasons that he was sent out of Toronto. It's a bummer that the Bulls are playing as they are this season. Again, I think that's kind of an anomaly, just the way that injuries have hit them. Um, but it's always great to see DeMar back.
Yeah, and that, I think that video that cut to him uh, storming out, that's the competitive DeMarco, yeah. isn't it? Wants to win and uh, holds himself to high standard. And I think probably last night wasn't as satisfied with his showing at Scotiabank Arena. But you're right, that smile, the way that he uh, he brings a lot of joy to Raptors fans that are never going to never gonna get over the DeRozan love that they have for him, and understandably so. So it's great to see him back um, here at home. And uh, it's good that the Raptors got the win, though. So you can, it's a win-win for everyone, <laughs> except for tomorrow. <laughs> first week tomorrow, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Katie, appreciate you joining us this morning. We'll chat with you in a couple weeks. Um, great to break it down. And of course, you can catch Katie at NBA writer at Dime, Slam Magazine, New York Times, and Yahoo Sports. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Of course. It's Katie. Katie Heinel, basketball feelings. A couple of those. Uh, one of our favorites. I'm speaking for the both of us, but one of our favorites is Katie Heindel. Uh She does have the tattoo commemorating the dunk competition. Maybe something for our text line. Maybe something for you. If you had to have a fandom tattoo. You don't have to. I'm not holding your feet to the fire here. But what comes to mind? I don't know. That's a tough one. It's a a bridge you'd never cross. Um, hmm. I bet there's some bad ones in the text line, though. Someone's got a gritty tattoo. I guarantee someone has a gritty tattoo. Or like a gritty tattoo? Like a... Flyers gritty tattoo? That one. Oh, I thought you meant just like a gritty. It's it's both. It, yeah. It's a gritty, <laughs> it gritty by, tattoo. By design, it is both. <laughs> That's a fun question. Uh, 595.90 for that. For more, your wake and rake picks tonight. Maple Leafs on the road to start a West Coast Canadian road trip against the Oilers. Tomorrow against the Flames, a day off between the Canucks. All in the next little stretch with some new faces in the lineup, some new faces on the other side of the ice for the Edmonton Oilers. We're going to break all of that down with Jason Bukla on the other side, former director of amateur scouting with the Florida Panthers and a current Sportsnet writer and analyst. He's got a great breakdown of the crazy Tuesday afternoon that the Maple Leafs had. You can find that at sportsnet.ca now if you want to do a little pre-interview reading, what the Maple Leafs get in a wild and crazy three-trade afternoon. That's at sportsnet.ca. You can catch that there. And we'll chat with them, break it all down on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show.